Well, good morning, First Evan. Ohayo gozaimasu. It's wonderful to be back here with you. We're always mindful of that when we go to bed each evening in Japan, Sunday night, that we've passed on the baton, spreading around the globe to all the peoples and nations of the world to worship Him. It's already 1 a.m. in Tokyo. Or is it 2 a.m.? We're all asleep there. And yet here we are, our great God, worship Him around this planet. I want to thank you so much for praying for my family and my son. It's been a pretty tough year for us. I think many of you know that my oldest, Aiden, was in a terrible bike accident. And we didn't know if he was going to live through the night. But because of your prayers, he's back in college. He's doing well. He's not 100%. He's still recovering, but he's doing really, really well. So thank you so much for your prayers. I also want to thank you for your prayers for the country of Japan. This time since this pandemic started really has been difficult these past three years. I kind of want to give you a little perspective here as we look back, 2011, First Ivan was praying for and giving toward the earthquake that happened, and God answered your prayers. It was just amazing how God worked during that time. We were able to plant 10 churches in 10 years, unheard of in Japanese culture. Uh, all our events were well attended. Our relationships were growing deeper. The trust in the community was growing. We were having so many new believers in baptisms. It was really exciting. And then the Tokyo Olympics were coming. This was going to be the pinnacle of it. There was a push for it to be the best ministry push that Japan had ever seen. And we were praying that the Holy Spirit would come and this revival would spread across the nation. And then you know what happened. COVID came along, it shut everything down, and we've basically been shut down ever since. I can't tell you what it's like, even now, the fear that we have in Japan with COVID. You know, I live on the 22nd floor of an apartment building, which means I ride an elevator a lot <laughs> every day. If I don't wear a mask, there's trouble. I'm, the other people in the elevator will be Where's the button? Let me out of this thing. <laughs> There's a fear that surrounds it, being around other people. We have those big plastic dividers and all the tables in restaurants. And, you know, for the most part, COVID's a thing of the past here in the States, but we're still very mindful of it in Japan. We just lifted restrictions for worship this past December, so just a couple months ago. Okay. And so you can imagine what that does to the psyche of a people, the isolation that they've been under. Anxiety and depression are rampant, and that's causing all kinds of problems. Two of our churches, two of the ten churches, shut down during COVID, never to be restarted. One missionary family was just recently sent home, completely exhausted and burned out coming back to the States for healing. 
Missions isn't all about happy stories, right? There's a lot of challenges there to pray for. And even with our own church, Grace City Church, it's a very difficult time. There's been a lot of disagreements and criticism, which has led to the pastor stepping down next month. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Who's going to fill his place? I don't think anyone can. He's the one who planted this church. It is a really difficult time, so please do continue to pray for Japan. Now this morning, I have the privilege of opening up the scripture passage that's been chosen as a theme for this missions conference. And so this morning, I would like to look at worship, the role of worship in the task of missions. And this evening, if you come back, I'd like to talk about the role of the arts in the task of missions. We have these headings of this missions conference, arts, worship, missions, and how they're related. So this morning we're going to talk about worship. I'd like to read to you Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Let's pray. God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, that you would speak to us. Enable us to worship you this morning. Enable us to know us, to, to know you in deeper and deeper ways. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, there are there any works like yours. From the very beginning, the psalmist is worshiping. The first thing we learn about the role of worship in the task of missions is we must begin with worship. God, there is none like you. There's nothing like what you have done. There is no one greater. There is nothing better. You are incomparable, unsurpassable. As God, we can't stop worshiping you. You know, as he goes on with verse 9, he's talking again in worship. He keeps calling out, oh, Lord, there's none like you, oh, Lord. We come before you, oh, Lord. There's an intimacy to this worship that we see right from the beginning. In verse 9, with the worship before you, he's talking about worshiping before his face. There's an intimacy of the relationship before him. And we kind of got a sense of that in the song that was sung earlier, written by Josh. This calling out back and forth of the choir to one another, just being led in worship. That must be the beginning point of our time in worship, in missions. You know, I'm scheduled to go back to Japan Thursday morning. If I'm not worshiping God, I should not get on that plane. 
because that is where we start. That's the reason that we go. That's the reason that you send. So worship is the beginning. Then verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. So in this song of worship that we have before us, he talks about the nations coming. Not God coming, God's already there. God made the nations and he is already there. He cares about the nations and the nations are coming. God is so great, he is so irresistible that there is no nation that will be unreached or unresponsive. Okay, this is the kind of greatness of the God that we are looking at. Now, I really like it that the psalmist used this word nation here. There's certain things that you think about when you think about the word nation. Their culture, their art. I mean, the, Japan is an island nation, which means that they depend upon fish, like a lot of island nations do. When you think of the nation of Japan, you think about their culture, you think about their art. So what does that mean? Well, first, it means there's different languages. That's pretty clear, right? Different foods. We had an intern with us recently who was not so sure about the Japanese diet and this idea of raw fish and the other interesting delicacies we have in Japan. She kept begging, just take me to McDonald's, which I'm not sure is a better health choice. <laughs> but it's, and I have to tell you, those of you going on a missions trip this summer, you're probably going to get sick from the food. It's inevitable. <laughs> but it doesn't mean the food is bad. It means that your body just isn't used to that food. All right? Maybe it's spicier than you're used to. Maybe it's saltier. Maybe it's greasier. I don't know. Whatever the differences are, that God formed us the way that we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But not just in our genetic makeup but in the environments that God puts us into. As you look around the world, there's different plants, different animals, different minerals. And so what does it look like for humans to thrive, to flourish in those spots? Well, they eat different foods. They wear different clothes. Maybe it's a hot climate or, or cold. And it's wet or dry. That affects the kind of shelters that we build. Each of the nations looks different. And these differences are good. You know, sometimes we see this as an obstacle, especially short-term trips. You go over, you say, oh, if only I could speak the language. If only I could communicate the gospel clearly, or even if I could ask where the bathroom is clearly. <laughs> you know, if only I knew how to be attractive in this culture rather than offensive in, in all the wrong ways. <laughs> If only I knew better how to gather people to these events so we can spread the gospel. But there's some major differences in the nations. And even those of us who've lived overseas for a, a while, those challenges continue. 
In Japan, I will always be a gaijin, an outside person, a foreigner. No matter how long you're there, you are always a gaijin in Japan. And so there's a level of intimacy that you can never quite get to. So these differences in the nations, it feels like an obstacle to the spread of the gospel. But it's not. Here, God is, the psalmist is saying, God made the nations. So it must be good. In fact, not just that. So psalmist starts by worshiping, right? But then his worship is enhanced by saying, the nations are coming before you. Our God is even greater by seeing what God is doing in all the nations. And of course, I've personally experienced that myself. Just being in Japan and singing praise to God in Japanese, reading the Bible in Japanese, praying in Japanese, confessing my sin in Japanese, interacting with Japanese people. Japan is pretty different. (laughs) It's pretty far away. And yet, God is known and worshipped in Japan. And he's known and worshipped here and all over this planet. Our worship of God is enhanced by realizing how great he is and the wonder of the things that he has done. So this is what Paul says in Acts 17. From one man, God made the nations. Okay, just repeating exactly the same thing we have from our theme verse. God made the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he gives a little more detail. He marked out their appointed times in history. Nations rise and fall. They're here and then they're not. There's been many nations that are no longer existent on the planet. And he sets the boundaries of their lands in the different parts of the world. Why? Why does he make all these differences of the nations? Well, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. There is something about this that shows us that the differences of the nations actually enhances our worship. Not just by realizing that he's so great that he's there, here, there, and everywhere. No, but there's something intrinsic in the differences of the nations that leads us in worship even further. I'm really going to talk about this point tonight when we look at the arts. But, But Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, in other words, together with all the nations, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, this is the language of perspective, right? Width, length, height, depth. We're going to know the love of God in deeper ways, wider, longer, higher, deeper. The language of perspective You can kind of begin to imagine at this point that through all the nations, we're going to be getting 
a much broader perspective of how great he is and what he does. And C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Four Loves. The very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, 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 to one another. Isaiah 6.3. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. Angels, perfect presence of God, right? Their worship is perfect. And yet even they, their worship is enhanced by calling to one another. And whenever we get a picture of the nation's worshiping God in heaven, we get that same image. The nations are calling to one another. Day of Pentecost, the people weren't all then speaking one heavenly language or one culture, but suddenly they were saying, they're declaring the wonders of God in our own languages, that in heaven we will be worshiping God through our languages and through all the languages of all the nations that have ever been, including our brothers and sisters who spoke Middle English <laughs> and languages we've never heard of. And through that, we will share the heavenly bread between us and we will have more of it, not less. Our love of God will be enhanced. Our knowledge of God and His glory will be enhanced. That missions is not a kind of one-way thing. We're not bringing God to the nations. The nations are coming to God. And we are walking side alongside them. Why? To see them worship as well. To get this picture of what's going to happen in heaven for all eternity as we're calling to one another in praise of Him. I couldn't help but think about that image when the choir was singing earlier, singing back and forth to each other and the men to the women. This back and forth, that is what missions looks like. It's not about saving individual souls, although it includes that. But God is wanting to reach the nations. We're not pulling people out of their culture to something else. We want to see the nations worship through their cultures, through their art, through the worlds that they live in. Missions is about worship every day in their schools, in their workplaces, in their families, in their neighborhoods. Worship is core to the task of missions. It's like this great treasure hunt where we go around the world looking for how is God working in this part of the world and how is God working in that part of the world and discovering those riches and just looking at the beauty of it, enthralled in it, enjoying it, delighting in it, and giving God glory for it. 
Herman Bavinck was a Dutch theologian about 100 years ago, and he had this to say, the image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being, however richly gifted that human being may be. It can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth. That's the language perspective we talked about with length, height, depth, and riches, the treasure hunt for the knowledge of the glory of God. In a humanity counting billions of members, just as the traces of God are spread over many, many works, like God is so great, you know, all the things He has done around the planet, we find God both space and time, so also the image of God can only be displayed in all its dimensions and characteristic features in a humanity whose members exist both successively, one after the other, and contemporaneously, ooh, that's a difficult word, side by side. In other words, (laughs) the nations help us see what the image of God is like, right? So God made man, no, he made man and woman, And then through them, he made the nations through all of time. Through each nation, through each person, we get a better, bigger, deeper picture of the image of God in order to lead us in worship of him. A scripture verse that's really helped me with this is Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you look at planet earth from outer space over the Pacific, you see mostly water. You know, America, Japan, we're neighbors. But there's a whole lot of water in between. But yeah, if you go from the West Coast, West, you will hit Japan before you hit another nation. And yet it's really, really far. With, with length, right? That God's knowledge is going to cover the earth like that. That's a scope we can't even imagine. And yet we we also have height and depth. The ocean is really deep. In fact, the deepest part of the ocean is right next to Japan, the Mariana Trench, seven miles deep. Unfathomable depths. There's things in there we will never see, never know about. The knowledge of the glory of God is like that. So we get just a little glimpse into the kind of worship. We think we know God now. Oh, no. I mean, we get glimpses around the world, through the churches around the world of what God is doing and how great He is. But this is what we'll be doing forever, for eternity in heaven, to unfathomable depths as we hear all that God has done over all of time and just sharing that and calling to one another. (laughs) This is the task of missions. In this sense, missions never ends. And we never want it to because it leads us in worship. This is the future we all have waiting for us. I'm going to share a story about this past summer. It's not a happy story. Uh, 
the oldest son of my pastor, Yuya, passed away suddenly, leaving behind three small children. He was a friend of mine. He was an artist. We had done many projects together. He was very loved in the church. He was there every week. He often read the scripture verses because he was an actor, so he has a professional voice. And we're still mourning his loss. Well, when the pastor, so another pastor officiated the funeral, but my pastor, his father, stood up at the end, thanking everyone for coming and said, Yuya has died, but he will live again. And you can see him again if you just believe the gospel, if you believe what we've been talking about at this funeral. God is great, and he has done this. And then he sat back down. And you can imagine how powerful that was for everyone that was there. My pastor was worshiping realizing that this is not the end, that in the midst of such a terrible situation and so much suffering and darkness and despair, that there is hope, that there is light. And to be able to worship in that moment was very moving for everyone. Well, afterwards, I'm walking through the back of the room talking with various peoples, and there's a non-Christian family who were there that we've been praying for for a long time, and many of you who follow on our newsletters have been praying for for a long time. Their oldest son said to me, I want to see Yuya again. I want to see Jesus. I want to become a Christian I was shocked. <laughs> That's not usually what people say at funerals. And so I looked up at his father, and he just nodded, stared at me, and said, me too. Me too. And this past Christmas Sunday, the two of them were baptized. <laughs> it was a joyous moment. We were worshiping God that in the midst of so much tragedy in our church that God would work in this way. Oh, God is great. He does wondrous things. And you, hearing this story, that God has worked this way in the nation of Japan, that's how great our God is. And you can worship along with us. And you'll hear this story again in heaven. Verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. The psalmist began with worship. He got more excited in his worship when he realized the nations were coming. And he ends with worship. Worship is the beginning, the middle, and the end of missions. Worship is the goal of missions from start to finish. So glory be to God for allowing us to participate in this great calling.
Let's pray. God, oh, you are great and do wondrous things. That even in the midst of such darkness and such hard times, you are working here, there, and everywhere. You are working amongst the nations, bringing hope into despair, bringing light into darkness. We thank you for calling us, bringing us to yourself to worship you and showing us in deeper and deeper ways who you are that we may worship you in deeper and deeper ways in more joyful ways. Thank you for giving us this future, this hope that for all eternity we can see in new ways the things that you have done and how you are working and we pray for that even now, today and through this week and the months ahead. Show us your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen.